Hallelujah. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Say that with me. Say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. And then say this, I will bless his holy name. I want to welcome all of our churches today to join with us. And we're proud to be a part of all of the ministry that God's blessed us with. And uh, super excited about what's going on here in Florence, about what's going on in Columbia, and about what's going on in Georgetown. Aren't you glad to be a part of a great church? Say amen. Everybody say amen. Hallelujah. I want to go to the Word early this morning. Columbia starts their service at 10 o'clock, and I promised them that I would be done preaching by, e- by 1130. That means everybody's going to get to go out to eat early, and we will definitely beat all the other churches to the locations to eat. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You know, I want to tell you, uh, we did the season of prayer where we prayed for a month, and we did that in all of our churches. I sensed the Lord on that decision. I knew that that was a choice from heaven. I knew that was God's uh, God's uh, desire for us. And I saw new faces. We saw new things happen. And people from our other locations all joined in with us to pray. And you have to understand, prayer is a seed. Prayer is a seed. If you don't understand the seed principle, you know, for a while I talked about you are the ground. And I mentioned that you were the ground. You're the ground that God works in. And that you'll bring forth harvest. There'll be, you know, some 30, 60, and 100 fold. And that God will bring forth harvest in you, but you're the ground. The word of God is the seed. When we pray, we are praying the word of God. We're reminding him of what he said. We're putting uh, his words back to him. We're giving back to him the guarantee that he has guaranteed us, what he said to us. And so he told us that when the, that, that the kingdom of God is if a man went and spread seed. And so when we pray, we're spreading seed. Look at somebody and say, you're spreading seed. Find somebody else. Look around everywhere. Yeah, just look at somebody. Find somebody. Look them right in the face. You're spreading seed when you pray. Amen. When you pray. And so that's what we did over this month. We've spread seed. Seed of the word of God. Seed for harvest. How does harvest come? The Bible says that we pray that God would send laborers into his field of harvest and that he would bring forth his harvest. And so we have to spread that seed to the world. It's a seed. Nothing grows without a seed. It doesn't come up. Nothing will happen unless we plant a seed. And we only get what we plant. Somebody say amen. amen. We have to plant seed. And so this prayer season was a season of, of, of God doing things in a seed form. But you know, I've said this to you before. Sometimes we plant. Sometimes we plant. But then there are other times when we water. Aren't you glad we get the water? Then there are other times the Bible says God gets the increase. The harvest is God's. It doesn't belong to us. Family worship center doesn't belong to any of us. This is his house. It belongs to him. It's his church. As a matter of fact, every single person who's accepted Jesus Christ is God's house that he comes in. He comes and lives in you. And so you become his dwelling place or dwelling place of God. And so you become his harvest field, his harvest. You are his harvest. This church is his harvest. And we're not trying to bring forth our harvest. We're trying to bring forth his harvest. Amen. Somebody ought to say amen. 
And so as we build the church and as we grow the church, we're not growing Pastor Steve's church. We're not growing J.T. Clark's church or Justin Flowers' church. We're not growing family worship center churches. Now, those are the ones we've chosen to attend because we found God's word true in those places. But if it is God's house that we're building and we should be building God's house, somebody say amen. Amen. Then all of our labor is not for ourselves and our labor is not for family worship center. It may be where we do it. It might be the place or it may be the decision we've made that God has allowed us to go where we want to go. And that he's shown us where to go and directed our path. When we get there, we plant ourselves in the house of God. We commit to the house of God, but not for that house. Although it will be that house that I'm in. And I want to grow that house. I want to take care of that house. I want to spread the word about that house. I want to protect that house. I want to watch over that pastor. You know, I'm kind of funny like that. I, you don't come talk to me about my pastor in a negative way. I'll be highly offended at you. And I might light you up in a nice way. I'm not talking about with fists or anything. I'm just telling you, we won't do that. Because I have a commitment to the house of God. I have a defense of the place that I'm at. You know, it's like going to church. You know, the decision to go to church. I have people tell me all the time that, you know, well, my son, you know, my son or my daughter, they may date somebody or they'll go date another person or go to, you know, get, get involved with somebody. And they'll decide about, you know, maybe getting in a relationship with someone. And then all of a sudden they're telling me, you know, well, my son's going over to so-and-so's church two or three times a, a, a week or two or, or, or this, that, and the other, you know, cause we just want him in church. Well, what church do you want him in? What exactly do you want him to get? What word are you expecting him to get? What exactly are you wanting produced in your child? I mean, what do you want to happen? And so I'm very cautious. I mean, it's not because I'm the pastor of Family Worship Center, but I know what we teach. I know what we believe. I know what the doctrines of Family Worship Center are. I would not send my children. I would not, as long as I have control of them, as long as they live in my house, as long as I'm paying their bills, they will go to the place that I have thought was best for them because of what they would get there, because of what they'll receive there, because of the seed that was sown in them. I mean, we believe in living right. There's not enough shouting on that one. You ought to look at somebody and say, we believe in living right. Amen. We believe in a Holy Ghost church where the presence of God can be felt and manifest. We're very cautious about that with our children. I don't want them in dead, dried up places where there's no move of the Spirit. They've already experienced God's move. They've already been touched by the anointing. They've already had a word that you might not get somewhere else. They've already been taught faith that they would be taught doubt. I wouldn't let them go somewhere where they could be taught doubt and then say, well, they're in church. Not if I already know, not if I've already come to light, not if already the thing has already come to my life, because my spiritual condition far outweighs my natural condition. I'm not getting enough shouting right there. Somebody ought to say amen. Amen. Say this with me. My spiritual condition condition outweighs outweighs my natural condition. I'm really excited about where my kids are. I like the fact that they're growing and they're manifesting God in their lives. Uh, but I'm also glad about where they are with their grades and their education, all those things. But as, as we produce inside of them the things that matter, I have never let spiritual things be the secondary product in their life. It's not what comes after their education in the world. It's not what comes after their sports affiliations. 
It is not what comes at the secondary rate. The spiritual life of my children is the single most important teaching that as a human being I can give them. The choices that I make for them spiritually is so crucial that it, we're talking about something that's more than 80 years. I put a, I had a funeral yesterday and I, I did a funeral for a lady in our church and she would have had her 80th birthday that yesterday. And, and I was glad that she lived 80 years. But the greatest thing that happened in her life was that on the day she was going to be with the Lord, she, she wanted to call me. And so I'm on the road and I'm coming back from, from uh, Charlotte and, and my kids and I, we're all in the car. And she gets on the phone and she starts talking to me on the phone. She says, Pastor, help. Pastor, help. But she wasn't talking about a physical help. Amen. Because I want you to know, as long as you can live, you won't live long enough that eternity doesn't matter more. Somebody ought to shout out amen. I wish I could get just a few more. Y'all help me out this morning in all the locations. Somebody say amen. Where I go after this is far more important than what I have in this. You could have everything in this life. You could participate in all kinds of, you could go so high in life that everybody knew you, that you were on television and you were all over the radio wave, whatever it may be, and have nothing of God spiritually, and you have nothing if you don't have something of God. But if you have God in your life, you've got everything you'll ever need. Somebody ought to say amen. Sure, we want all that other stuff. Sure, God said he wants to elevate us. Sure, God said he'll give us the desires of our heart. I know he'll do that. I'm sure of that. And so I'm saying this to say to you that our goals as human beings have to be that we produce in our family spiritual qualities that matter, spiritual things that are important. Where we go, what we listen to, what we hear is crucial to our lives. Now, if you went to high school or you went to elementary school, we all start out somewhere in school and maybe it's elementary school. You started out and you went to the first grade or pre-K or whatever it is that you went to and you were learning at that level. You got done with tying your shoes. They showed you how to use forks and knives and spoons. Amen. Then you moved up and you learned two plus two in elementary school. All the way to fifth grade where you're starting in algebra. Then if you continue on from there and get into high school, they'll continue to teach things. They're going to teach you trigonometry. Going to teach you biology. Going to teach you chemistry. But then when you get done with that, you're going to go on to college if you wanted to. You could go on to a not only college, but maybe a, a skills uh, class or maybe to a, a trade school and learn a trade, learn a craft. And you get done with that and you finish your education. Let's just say you went to college and you got your four-year degree and now you decide to go on from there and you take your master's degree. How many of you would think that a person that decided when they got done with their college education or their master's degree came to you and said, I'd like to go back to elementary school, decided to sign up over at Del May and went back into the first grade was a smart person. I wonder how we would feel. I'm just being real honest. I wonder how we would feel. How would it feel if, if we saw an adult? This, this beautiful lady right here in the first grade with her little coloring sheets and some crayons. Now, I know she has a degree. I know she has knowledge. I know she has understanding. She don't want that now because she just wants to be in elementary school. And she's sitting next to your five-year-old or your seven-year-old with her crayon sheet and just tells you, you know, I really don't want to act like an adult. 
I really don't want to act like I know what I know. I don't really want to act like I've, I've learned some of that stuff. Just sit me in the middle of a grade school class and let me get out my crayons and I'll make sure. Cause now I don't, not only that, I don't even want to get out my own crayons. I want somebody to go buy my crayons. I want you to get my book bag on me in the morning. I'm going to ride the bus. Can you imagine her riding the bus? Somebody ought to say amen. And yet as spiritual people, we come into houses where men and women have been blessed by God, anointed by the Lord. We look around and we see healings and divine miracles and displays of God in the house. People raise their hand, miracles and miracles. I have a miracle right here. He came in this church. He had a sickness in his body. Cancer was in his body. And the Lord healed him of that cancer. It was removed from him. Taken out of his body. Amen. I mean, I could just go around the building and show you people and define for you people and live, and you could say, how did that happen? See, because when the disciples came and they asked Jesus about himself, who are you? Who do we follow? And, and he explained to them, you follow what, what has something following it. The word has signs following it. It has displays following it. It has revelation behind it. It's not something we just read and it means nothing. It has display. It has expression. It has a life. We come into life. He said the word would come into us and give us life. That's what we preach and that's what we teach is that you can have life and have life more abundantly. We teach you that you don't have to go around the wilderness a thousand times to learn a lesson. We teach you that God heals because he's a healer, not because of any other reason. He said by his stripes we were healed. That's what we believe. That's what we do. There's no doubt. We're not wandering around wondering whether or not God is going to heal us. We walk and say, God, I walk by faith and I don't walk by sight. Somebody ought to shout out amen. Somebody's teaching us. We're learning something. We come into a worship experience where the presence of God comes, where the worship leaders pray and seek the Lord, where they wait on God for anointing in the presence of the Lord. We didn't just come out of the bar on Saturday night, step up on the platform and start playing our instrument and hope that you got touched by the emotion of my playing, by the move of my fingers. It's got to be more than that. I didn't come here just so you could entertain me. I came here so God would touch me. I don't need you to touch me. I need God to touch me. I can't go back to elementary school. I can't go back to the first grade. God's touch. There ought to be more shouting. There ought to be more shouting. I get irritated with that stuff. Well, any church will do. I'm glad for churches that preach Jesus. I'm leaving them alone. I'm not out to get any other church. I'm not out to attack any other church. Jesus said, if they're preaching me, leave them alone. But when you've gone from elementary school and you went to college, you just don't go back to elementary school. I want everybody in here to say amen. amen. If you leave Family Worship Center, you don't have the right to stay home. I hear people left here. And they're sitting at their house. Well, I'd like to go smack them. I would. I'd like to just go smack them. What in the world are you doing at your house? God didn't give you the right to just sit at your house. Hebrews tells us, forsake not the assemblings of yourselves together as the manner of some is. 
and so much the more. We live in a society today, it's sad to me. Christians get disgruntled with the church. They get upset at the pastor. They get mad at what we did or what we didn't do, whether it's our church or another church. And then they get all disgruntled. But God didn't do it to you. God didn't make that choice. God wasn't the one who said, do this, do that. Somebody did that. You could be mad at them, but why would you be mad at God? I need more amens than that. This whole church needs to say amen. I know they turned on the heat and it's a little warm in here, but you're going to be gone in about 15 minutes. So I need just a few more amens. Why would you be out of church? I mean, is it, I mean, at that point, where's your forgiveness? Bible says that if you pray, you got to forgive. If you don't forgive, he won't forgive you. Where's your forgiveness? I thought you knew the word. I thought you knew the presence of God. I thought you knew the spirit of the Lord. What could pull you away from the presence of the Lord? What could help you deny your right to do what God said? We don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. We get to be in the presence. We get to be under the anointing. We get to hear a strong word. We get to have the presence of somebody on the shout. Thank you, Brother G. Stand up and shout just a little bit more. I'll take all the shouting I can get this morning because I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell it like it is. What excuse do you have not to go to church? Today we go to church and we see the average church member and all of us as pastors are trying to figure out how we can add more people back in the house of God. At this time here at Family Worship Center, more people attend this church than we've ever had attend before. More. Hundreds more. Our, our roles are full. Our balance, our balance sheet and our account is wonderfully blessed. We have more money in the cash in cash than we've ever had in the history of our church. More giving this year. At this point, we have 10 weeks to go, and we're already where we were other years. I'm grateful for all of that. I'm excited about all that. But the greatest and most important thing I can give you and say to you is, you have to obey the word of God. If he says forsake not the assemblies of yourselves together, then add that to your money. Add that to your decisions. Add that to your choices. Make sure that you have not abandoned spiritual things for natural things. Yeah, you can come and make a hundred cups of coffee. We need it. But what about your spirit? What about your decision to be solid with the things of God? What about the choices? You know, I get to go around. And I, I, I mean, my kids are involved everywhere. They're involved in all kinds of things. I am a, let me tell you something. I love being a dad. When I got married, I never thought I'd be one. I told my wife before we got married, I said, I believe the Lord told me I'd never have any kids. Can you believe that? That girl married me anyway. I can't believe she was that crazy. Now I have three, and if I could have had 300, I would have. You know, we got to three, and the doctor said, you better not have another one for her physically. And so we made a decision that that was enough. We were going to listen to the wisdom on the earth and the wisdom. We didn't have a leading from the Lord to have another kid. She wanted a little girl. She had two boys. She wanted a little girl. When the little girl came... Really, to tell you, she was done. She had her shopping buddy. 
it was over. Them two love to shop, man. I'm just telling you, they love to shop. I love being there. So I'm all over the place. I go all over the place. I'm in all kinds of places. And I get to watch church families at all these locations. I watch them dragging stuff across the field for the band. Every time there's a game, they're hauling something across the field for the band. Never miss the band. Every time there's a baseball game, they're carrying the bats. Every football practice, they're sitting in their cars watching their kid practice. But Sunday comes. And they can't even get the gas in the car. They'll sit on the sideline and snuff. We'll be running out their nose. You'll walk up and say, how you doing? Oh, I'm sick as a dog. They get a little runny eye and they're done with church on Sunday. And yet we have more people in church than we ever. I can't go around Florence that I don't go to any place that I go. Whatever, restaurants, movie theater, I don't care where it is. And people will walk up to me. And I got to be honest with you, I don't know all your names. At one point I didn't know any of your names. Thank God I do today. It's all coming back. Amen. But I'll walk in there, but you're my pastor. And I act like I know. Oh, well, praise the Lord. How you doing? <laughs> I kind of wait for them to introduce themselves to me. My name is Judy. Oh, Judy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my wife and I have a little thing we do. Now, don't get mad if I've done this to you. But when I don't remember your name, I introduce my wife to you because you all never see her. She's over in children. So I say, by the way, have you met my wife? She does children. And she'll go, oh, my name's Miss Amy. What's your name? And they'll say something. I'll go, that's John. <laughs> now I know you. These are choices we have to make. Whether you're in Georgetown, whether you're in Columbia, we're getting ready to open up two more churches this year. Or I should say coming year, not by by December, but in the next coming year, we'll have two more family worship centers. I'm going to put one in Sumter, and I'm not telling you where the other one's going to be. So if you know anybody, we have people coming from Sumter all the time. If you're in Sumter, come talk to me, because we get ready to open up in your city. That's why we pray. That's why we pray. It's not so we can build bigger family worship centers. The Lord came to me one day and he said to me, Steve, you must decrease that I may increase. You must decrease that I may increase. And when he said it to me, it was like a light bulb came on in my spirit. I heard God. I don't care who you are or how high you go. No matter what level you've attained in life, when it comes to the Lord, at some moment, you will decrease so that he may increase. No matter what we build, it won't build me. I'm going to heaven. And I will decrease and God will have somebody that will carry this on. Not tomorrow, not next week. Thank God I'm staying as long as I can. Everybody ought to shout amen. But we can't build for ourselves. We can't build with the idea that we're creating something that can, that can elevate us. There's no elevation for us. I own nothing at Family Worship Center. I don't, I don't own a thing. I have no possession that's here that belongs. There's nothing to pass on to the kids. There, there's no transitional authority here to do that. It's not going to happen. It's owned by God. It's God's house. And we're building God's house, all of us. So when you take yourself 
and you plant yourself into the temple of God, in the house of God, you have to plant yourself somewhere that you would be proud for others to bring them to. That you would be willing to do it. You know, I've been telling my kids, I said to Stephen and Brian and them, you know, always bring somebody to church. I'd like to make them evangelistic. And so what I've done is I've, I've been going with them and I couldn't, I haven't really got that into them, that evangelism thing. And, and you know, because there's all kinds of peer pressure in school and there's all kinds of things, you know, we, we have that as adults, but man, in school, I mean, you know, I mean, it's almost, you, you, you know, if you've got to have some real guts to put on your God pants. I mean, thank God for Brother Kendall going now to the, to the schools. He goes to the high schools and junior highs and he hadn't quite made it to junior high yet, but he's going. He just found out he's going. Amen. <laughs> Not really. And so I have been going with them places. And I started talking to the kids in their band. I started talking to the kids at the football team. I started talking to the coaches. Because that's, that's just who I am. I mean, I learned it. To, I just learned it to my spirit. And, and I found out things about kids in the, in the band. And I got to praying for some of them. One in particular that's been on my heart. That I, heard, I heard the story of his life and what was going on in him and how much he needed help and how much he needed God. Great kid. Great opportunity. Needs a, somebody to put their arms around him and love him all the way to wherever he's going to go in life. And when they told me the story, I said, God, if you want me to do something with this young man, if you have something for me to do with him, and there's somehow I can help him. You know, we ought to help somebody to help us and, they, and we can help him. And I said, you open the door. I, I mean, this kid wasn't open to anything until Thursday night. I'm standing on the field on Thursday night, and this kid comes walking up to me at the microphone stand. I guess because Stephen was standing there, but just walked up. And I knew right then, I knew right then, doors open. That's not the only door. There have been many doors that have been opened. This kid needs help. He needs love. He needs encouragement. And I don't ever, in, in 20 years now of ministry, I've never taken a kid home in my car. And I won't let them do it either. So I got Brother Nate together with me. I wasn't going by myself. I'd never do that. But this kid needed a ride. And I knew God had opened the door. So I put him in my car with Brother Nate and took him home after Hallelujah Night. He was at our haywire on Friday. He promised me he'll be at church tonight and he'll be there Wednesday for youth. Promise me. There's something in the future for that kid. There's something God wants to do. That's what God wants to do with you as the temple of the Holy Ghost. He wants to take you and help you build the kingdom of God. Not your kingdom, but his kingdom. That building you're in is not your building. It's God's building. This morning, Pastor Reggie and I have been, he's, he's up here. He was with me this week and we spent some time together. He'll be coming back through. He's coming to, he, he, he was going to come and surprise me this morning and hear me preach. And he couldn't do that because another church where he's from asked him if they, he would preach up there. And I was like, praise God. <laughs> you know, because he'd have been here on a surprise and, you know, if he's coming, we got to deck it out. You know, it's just got to be right. I mean, I'd have done fine. But as I'm driving, thinking about that, I said, Lord, what if we treated the church every week like Pastor Reggie was going to be there? And the Lord said, what about if I'm there? You want to talk about a man dropping his head? 
How many know how God can talk to us? Oh, my Lord. How about if I show up? I think every one of us ought to get that same mentality. If God's speaking to your pastor, then he's speaking to you. He said, how about if I come? What would you do if it was your 25th anniversary? Because it's every way. It's every Sunday, the 25th anniversary of Pastor with God there. Would you show up? Would you be there? Would you proclaim it? Would you discern it? Would you understand the value of it? And I think that's what I want to say to all of our churches today. Is that there's far more that we as individuals can achieve if we only understood why we prayed. What about the seed that we planted? What did we do? Now, let me just give you some indications. This week's been a miracle working week. I knew we'd have miracles. I knew there'd be things that would happen. And it's just getting started because we only planted seeds. I want somebody to say amen right there. If you prayed, you planted seeds. You know, I, I got a video. I want to show you, not a video, just a picture. I want to show you the website of the, of the, of the uh, weather on Thursday night. Do you see that right there? On Thursday night, we had prayed that God would keep the rain off of family worship center. I asked the Lord to give us time. Don't let it rain until 9. How many were in the prayer meeting when we prayed? Now, Wednesday, we really prayed. I told her we always have a secondary plan. But in this case, I don't really. I, all, the only secondary plan was is, is we would have to cancel it. And I don't want to do that. And we're going to believe God. And so I began to pray. This is the weather that you saw come through here. It rained all the way around Florence. You see that finger right there? Can you see the finger? When the weather came, there was a spot. I can, I can show you other pictures there was a round spot that sat right over the top of Florence until 8.50. A round spot. That's not natural. That's supernatural. When I begin to make choices about where God wants me in my life, What God wants for my children. I don't choose whatever will do. Whatever will work. I'm not looking to keep them in elementary school. I want them to go forward. I'm pushing them forward. I want them to take the SAT. I want them to go as high as they can go. Put your family, put your life somewhere where it can go higher. Where they can experience the power of God in their life. Don't kill me in. It matters. It matters. It doesn't always have to work out here, but something put in them here. I get disgusted with people who don't understand. That just don't get the knowledge. That what gets put in you here may not end up being here, but God could always use it somewhere. Why are you mad that we put everything we could put into your kids and they didn't end up doing it here? Aren't you glad it got put in your kid? (laughs) 
I'm just going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep on preaching. There are places we shouldn't be as Holy Ghost believers. We ought to be in Holy Ghost churches. We ought to ask God to put us in Holy Ghost churches. Fill up Holy Ghost churches. Anytime a Pentecostal church moves in the area, I thank God for it. Anytime. Because I want the Holy Ghost to flood this city like the water floods the sea. He said, in the last days, I'm going to pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Old men will dream dreams and your young men are going to see visions. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon your handmaidens. He just went on to tell us how he's going to pour out his spirit. We need to be in a place where the pouring is coming. How many of you understand pouring includes healing in our body? I'm going to walk in health, not in disease. Pouring includes filling up the bank account when I need money. I don't need to live just to get by. I need to have money that's in, the, in place. I need to have a bank account. Got something in it. I got to have something in it. Somebody ought to say amen. As we were doing our devotions, you know, this whole thing started with the praying. We started praying and I got it in my spirit to do these devotions. And this is what I got in my spirit. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves and fishes... For their heart was hardened. I began to look that up in concordances. And this is what I got. Number one. One of the concordances says this. The miracle of the loaves. Had been duly considered the, the inference. From it must have been that he who had brought it. Must be the Lord over the whole system of nature. And could therefore. Whenever he pleased. Bend the elements to his rules. I like that. that, that they, they missed the point that God's supernatural. That God can do supernatural things with your life and in your children and your experience. That he that was dominant over all, natural and spiritual, will overcome the world. The Bible says this is the faith that overcomes the world. Even This is the victory that overcomes the world, even my faith. That somebody teaches me faith. That they teach me how to understand the faith principles. Not, not death and destruction and discouragement, depression. But how to overcome death, destruction, discouragement, and depression. The church is not here to teach you how to live in sickness, disease, and depression. It's here to teach you how to get healed and delivered and saved and, and set free and return back to the dominion God called you to live in. God called you to have dominion in your life. Their heart was hardened. They saw it. They saw him feed the 5,000, but their heart was hardened. Their heart was hardened toward it. We become so religious That we forget the supernatural of God. We forget, we get so, they saw so much. Listen, here's another. Uh, he's the same. Nothing changed. He supplied, he supplies, and he will supply. Listen to this one. They had become so accustomed to the sight of their master's mighty works that they had ceased to regard them with any particular interest. Or they attach them, uh, they, they, they are to attach to them any particular importance. They didn't add any importance to what he had done. John Gill says it this way. They considered not the miracle of those which they had seen, but the day before. They did not attend to it, nor learn from it as they might. They, the wonderful glory of Christ and the greatness of his power, which was as much as act of, of, of omnipotence. As either his walking upon the water or causing the wind to cease or even more. 
They missed the point. I mean, I, I mean, I, I could continue on. Listen to this. This is another one. They were blinded not by sin. They were blinded not by sin. This is the church. This is why Revelation tells us what it tells us about the states of the church. They were blinded. They were blinded in their life not by sin or against Christ. Much the less in the judicial way that he did things. But there was a great deal of dullness and stupidity and lack of attention to the glory of God which he manifests and showed forth in the miracles. Was not so clearly and fully discerned and intended to and acknowledged by them as it might reasonably be thought it would be. For notwithstanding these miracles which they saw daily, they stood in need of a divine illumination to the darkness of their minds by being, where their mind was removed. They wouldn't, they were unable to behold the glory of Christ as the glory of God. We stand in a church like this or you come to a church like this if you fail to discern properly. What God is doing, then you will fail to be committed to the understanding of God's plan for you in the vision of his kingdom. No one within this building, no one that attends this church is is not called to be a disciple of Christ. Lots calling. You have calling. Every one of you has been called to be a disciple. You've been called to be a kingdom builder. You've been called to be a kingdom definer. You've been called to make a difference on the earth. You've been called to impact people in a spiritual way. You've been called to change environments. You've been called to stop sin. You've been called... To evangelize the sinner. You've been called to change minds. You've been called to transform people. Because you have Jesus on the inside of you. You are a world transformer. You are a life transformer. God will transform your life. God will transform you. When you finally come to the knowledge. Instead of defying it as it means nothing. But instead you decide. And say it does mean something. God's trying to tell me something. I should take knowledge of the loaves and the fishes because they matter. It matters. God, let me see the loaves and the fishes. Our faith is not to stand in the power of men. And I want to say this to all of our churches. How are we called to begin? What is the definition And I looked at, you know, this Thursday, Georgetown had the largest hallelujah night they've ever had. Thousand plus. Columbia had their very first hallelujah night. Over 300, somewhere around 300. Something around 300. Our numbers were between four and 5,000 people. As a community-involved, influential thing. Instead of kids being on the street in Satan worship stuff, looking like devils, we had them at the house of God with Holy Ghost music playing, anointed people, and they were blessed by God to the tune of now, it looks like about 6,000 people that we reached over the course of Hallelujah Night. It's because we prayed and because we asked God for influence. We have made an impact. We have made an impact. This church has made an impact. 
an impact. It's not just that we did a fun thing on a Thursday night. We've made an impact. People made choices to go where they were safe and where it was a, a place they could be blessed. They went somewhere where they knew someone would take care of them and love them and treat them with respect. Where their children would not be hurt. Where nothing would happen to them. They made a choice because a church with people who made a decision to involve themselves understood they were the vessels of God. That God had called them to be his house would bring people to his house. Paul said it this way. He said, and I, brethren, when I came to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm almost done. When I came to you, I came not in excellency of speech or the wisdom of men declaring unto you the the witness of God. In other words, he said it this way. I didn't come to you in human wisdom, philosophy. I didn't come to you with polished speeches. I didn't come to you with great stories and brilliant speech. I came to you or with great intellect. He said, I came to testify of God. I came to tell you what Jesus did in me. I want to know if Jesus has done anything in you. Thank God we all grow. But I remember when I didn't know him. And I know what it's like to know him. I'd rather know him. Miss Sharon, when I, when I prayed over her, she said, help me, help me, help me. I knew she was saying, will you pray that I could have the desires of my heart? She knew that this life wasn't for her. She'd had enough. She loved her husband. She didn't want him to struggle anymore. And so she said, will you help me? I did. I said, Lord, we hook up with her faith. How many know God will hook up with our faith? And I hooked up with her faith. In just minutes, he called me back. In minutes, he called me back. He said, well, she's going on to be with the Lord. I was so happy. I said, I love Sharon, but I was happy too. Because Paul said, this, I finished my course. I've run my race. If you think this is your course, if you think this is your, this is the race to get to the end. This is the race to the finish. I want you to know something. She had finished her course. And how many of you know it's never over? Because when you get to heaven, it's forever. Never mind. I can't go there. That's not where I'm at. For I determined not to know anything among you. He said it this way. With purpose and design, Paul did not resort to the knowledge of the philosophy of a world regarding the preaching of the gospel. In other words, I preach, I, I didn't know, I want to know anything among you except to say, uh, except Jesus Christ, him crucified. And that's the message. That's the message that we have. That's the message of the church. That's the message of family worship. That's what's going to happen in something. That's going to happen in the other place that we go to. That's what's happening in Columbia. That's what's happening in Georgetown is we're preaching Jesus Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't even come to God without the power of the Holy Ghost. We may as well have all of it we can have. If you don't understand your need for the power of the Holy Ghost, then you don't understand what Jesus said. It's important. It's imperative that I go away. For if I don't go away, I can't send the Comforter. You need me to go that I can send you the Holy Ghost. It took the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for us to have the gift of the Holy Spirit. It took his power to give it to us. If I didn't need the Holy Ghost, why did he send it? I was not with you in weakness and in fear. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. He said it this way. I was unsure of how to go about this. I felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death 
If you wanted the truth, I want you to know something. They want the truth. Paul found that out. And he said it this way. And my speech and my preaching was not with persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. That word Holy Spirit there is the word supernatural divine. It speaks of the Holy Spirit's power. He said, when I came to you, I came to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. The church cannot be absent of the power of the Holy Spirit. Moms, dads, children, everybody in this place. The seeds that we sowed were that God would come in supernatural power in our lives and in this church. We cannot sacrifice Sometimes you, you, you feel like this is everything to you. The church is filling you up and other times you don't. That's the human response to human conditions. That's how we all are. But when you see God doing miracles like bending the weather around the city. It wasn't like anybody else was praying for the weather to go. I know that demons weren't praying. I know that sinners were out there saying, God, will you stop the weather so we can have a sinner fast? It wasn't like there were thousands of churches in Florence that were having prayer meetings and asking God to stop the weather. I mean, wake up! <laughs> that was pretty good, wasn't it? But I know a one church. They said, we'll pray all week long. Supernatural. I came to you with supernatural. Supernatural power. Supernatural authority. So that your faith would not stand in the philosophies and human reasonings of men. But that it would stand in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Folks, I'm just going to say this to everybody that you understand this. When God sent me to Florence, he gave me a specific word one night that I needed from him. And this is what he said to me. He said, Steve... I called you to be one of another and not one of the same. One of another. He was defining for me what existed when I came. I'm not talking about now. I'm talking about when I came. When we got here. And this is true in other places. I can go to cities and see they don't have what we have here. I have people that come from out of town. They'll come to our church and say, oh my God, if we only had this where we were. If we only had this in our city, and yet we have it right here in Florence, and our people can't seem to understand because they have taken for granted the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. How can we neglect what God has done? How can we not see what God is doing? How can we not understand that already in other cities God's doing this again, and that he's about to do it again after this, and pour into us even more? How could we neglect that? How could we miss that point? How could we not understand? How could we not see? We're one. We're not the only. I would never suggest anything that's ridiculous. But if you found one, if you found one, <laughs> if you found one, if you found one, then understand what you've got. You that are in Columbia, you that are in Georgetown this morning, understand what you're walking into. Understand what's been put into your pastors. Understand how that we have infilled them with the presence of God. Their desire for a move of the Spirit is a desire you should have. It's what you should want in your church. Paul said, uh, they said to Jesus, how do we know? And he said, 
the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and we proclaim the glory of God, the word of the Lord. If I've already been with the lame walk, the blind see, and the deaf hear, and somebody's preaching the word, that sounds like a good thing to me. (laughs) 